Hello. I'm Dan, and I'm a recovering middle child. (laughs) I was about my son's age, the oldest son, Judah's age, about six, the baby of the family. At that time, I'm number three out of four, when my mother told me in that living room, you're going to be a big brother. And I wasn't so excited. And she'll tell me this story to this day. She said this. She said, you said, but I'm not going to be the baby anymore. I wasn't going to be the baby anymore. And that activated something in that middle child. Any middle children out there? Are you competitors a little bit? Because I didn't know if I knew it at that time or not, but my competitive genes kicked in because what? I wanted my mom and my dad's attention. Now, I had a challenger in my family. I was three out of four. If you know my family and you know me personally and our family personally, you would know that I am most similar to my big sister. Well, she's my little sister, but she's my older sister, Becky. Both of us are middle children, extremely competitive in sports and academics in every way that we would go back and forth, especially in our childhood. She's just like me, except she doesn't have a beard. She's 150 pounds lighter, and she's a female. Anyhow, she was a senior in high school when I was becoming a freshman. And I remember remember at the end of her senior year, we all learned as a family that Becky, now she was at the top of her class. She wasn't at the very top of her class, but she was very good in academics. And she was going to get chords to walk the stage. Do you know what I mean when I say chords? Anybody, do they still do that today? Chords are put around the neck of those students who have a cumulative GPA, at least in my high school at that time, of 3.6 and higher. And those people would be specially honored. They would have the chords put around. And then all those other people that didn't have chords, they graduated, but they didn't graduate with chords. They were extra special people. And I remember at that graduation, we were so proud of Becky. I was a little proud of her, too. And mom said to me, it was either at graduation or shortly thereafter, or maybe it was the beginning of my sophomore year, but I distinctly remember it. In all innocence, mom said to me, because we were talking about her chords, she said, Danny, because that's what they call me, Danny, you know, we're both named Danny by our family. She said, Danny, you know, if you try hard enough, you can get chords too. And what did she do to that little Danny? She released the beast. I think to myself, what was I doing all freshman year? I need a 3.6 or higher to get these chords. And so uh, there I went. I was often, and for a good part of my academic career, I was just focused on getting those chords. I would stay up late. I would study for exams. I remember one time, Tutor Meyer, Stephen Meyer, who's my tutor, Sally, maybe, maybe you were at school at the same time he was there. He, I went to a boarding school, so we had dormitories. He came into my room at 2 in the morning. He peeked his head around. And normally you want to get, you know, you get busted for staying up late or playing video games or something like that. But he was so confused that I was studying Latin derivatives for a Latin 1 test. He rolled his eyes and just closed the door. He didn't even tell me to get back to bed. He was so confused. I was dead set on getting those chords. And every test that came up and every exam It weighed in me, right? And it's weighing in you too right now, students. Every final, you think to yourself, am I going to make it? Am I going to get there? Am I going to get that cumulative GPA that I need to get the chords? I was striving. And it wasn't fun. 
because I had in the back of my mind what? What's mom going to think about me? What if I don't get the cords? What if I fall short? I could care less what my friends think, but what about my sister and my family? What are you striving for? Is it something in your family? Creating harmony with the family group? Is it to be the best father, the best mother? Are you striving to please your parents, kind of like I was trying to please my parents too? Are you striving? Yeah. But it's what you're striving for. How are you holding up underneath that? John takes us to the foot of the cross, and he says this. He says that your Savior says to stop it. (laughs) To stop it. Because he's done something for you so beautiful that you can stop striving and you can start resting in his peace. And you heard it in John chapter 19 just a little while ago. John writes in verse 28 of chapter 19, Later, knowing that everything had now been finished, And so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put a sponge on a stalk of hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. We can assume that Jesus' cross isn't very high off the ground because these hyssop plants were like a... like a foot to 18 inches long. So maybe not as high as the big movies put him up, but he, they, they reach it up to him. And he clears his throat with this drink because he's about to say something. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. John takes us to the foot of the cross. He's there. He's an eyewitness of this, of everything that's happening. And it's important to note that the verses right before this, Jesus is hanging there on the cross, and Jesus looks at John, and he says to John, John, I want you to take care of my mother because my mother's not going to have anybody take care of her when I'm gone. And so Jesus gives these instructions just verses before. And then it says later, all of this other stuff happens. It says that Jesus knew that everything was finished. It says that the scripture needed to be fulfilled. He says it is finished. One word is used three times, although in the English you only heard it twice. In verse 28, the word is used twice. The word is to finish or to telestai. It's it's that word that says everything has now been finished and that scripture would be finished. Same word. And then later on it says, Jesus said with his voice, it is finished. And so what is it that's being finished at the cross? What is happening there that, it, that John is stressing? This is the place where everything gets finished. What is it that's being finished? This afternoon I had an unchurched friend come to me wanting to talk to a pastor. Um, and, you know, he said, Pastor, I've been to many churches, because I have, of course, I'm a pastor. I have to ask him, do you, do you go to a church? And he says, I've been to so many churches. I've been to the Baptist church. I've been to the Catholic church. I've been to your type of Lutheran church before. I've been to um, the Mormon church. I've been to the, the, all the different churches that there are, the Jehovah's Witness church. I've been to their church. And you know what, pastor? I have a question for you. No offense. But why do churches make me feel like a piece of P-O-S, which in the vernacular for you young people is piece of stinky socks. (laughs) 
I nodded, and I said, I know what you're feeling. Because a lot of times, churches make you feel like a POS. And then I told him this. I was, it, was, it worked out well. I was working on my sermon <laughs> this afternoon. I said, do you know Mark Twain? And he says, yeah, I know Mark Twain. You know Mark Twain. Mark Twain is that uh, famous American author, Huck Finn, Huckleberry Finn, and uh, Tom Sawyer, uh, Prince and the Popper. He also was uh, an outspoken atheist. And he's very critical of the Bible in the same way that I heard this man that was critical of the Bible. Um, but a very interesting thing that Mark Twain said in his autobiography was really revealing. He, as a young boy, witnessed a shooting near his home. A man was shot in the street. And after that shooting, he had this recurring dream that happened again and again and again, all throughout his life, it seems. And this is the dream that he had, that he had this dream of a man in a street on his back, and on top of that man is a Bible. Actually, it was his family's big family Bible from home. And it was on top of that man, and it was holding him down, crushing him. This man struggled to get up, but he couldn't, but he was being pinned down by the Bible. The Bible was the thing that was holding him down like an anvil. He couldn't do anything. He was crushed. He was helpless. And you don't have to be Freud to figure out what was going on in Mark Twain's subconscious. He saw this book, and he knew that this book was full of demands. He knew that there were demands in this book that makes you feel like a POS because you can't do everything possibly that this book asks. So why are you surprised that people are critical of churches that put this huge demand and crush people? And maybe you're crushed right now, or maybe you have been crushed. That's why when it says in verse 28, everything has been finished, because this is a book that has so many stories of people that leave things unfinished. Adam and Eve at the very beginning, God says what? I'm going to give you this perfect world. You're going to have bliss. You're going to have harmony with me. Just, just what? Just do one thing that I want you to do. Have your will in line with mine. And what did they do? They dropped the ball. They left it unfinished. And what happened after that? The whole story. Every big hero of faith. The big hero of faith in Judaism, Abraham. He was supposed to wait for God to make his family for him, but he jumped the gun and his whole family turned into a chaotic thing. It, it, he couldn't finish it. Even the hero of faith, Moses. God said, I'm going to lead you out of Egypt. And the people, he says, I'm going to give you this land flowing with milk and honey. I'm going to give you this beautiful gift just do one thing, worship me. And what did they do? They built a golden calf just steps outside of Egypt. Moses couldn't even finish what God asked him to do. The kings that came later on in this story, they all are, are, are kings that are, that are hugely flawed. They couldn't finish anything that God asked from them. And then when God says, <clears throat> do this and don't do that and be the best version of yourself, because I am holy, I want you to be holy. We look at this thing and what's happening? We're being crushed. We want to strive. And let me tell you, my friends, it's not a Christian thing just to strive. We all are striving. Whether you're a Buddhist, a Hindu, whether you're an atheist or an agnostic, whether you're a Christian or not a Christian, you're striving to be better. This is part of the ancient problem we're going to talk about in a second. But part of the problem is that we are built in with this striving to finish because we're created that way. Um, 
In his book, uh, The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness, Tim Keller, he quotes Madonna the pop singer. In an interview with Vogue, she says this about her work. Now think, a very successful woman, a woman who is uh, at the top of her field and very successful, she says this, I have an iron will, and all of my will has been to conquer some horrible feeling of inadequacy. I push past one spell of it and discover myself as a special human being. And then I get to another stage, and I think I'm mediocre and uninteresting, again and again. My life, uh, sorry, my drive in life is from this horrible fear of being mediocre. And that's always pushing me, pushing me, because even though I've become somebody, I still have to prove I'm somebody My struggle has never ended, and it probably never will. Sound like a middle child? Sound like you? We feel like a POS because we can't be our best. And here's the other thing. The the human dilemma is we want to strive to be the best, but then we also want to be free. Because the Bible shows us how to be the best. Do this and don't do that. Love your neighbor as yourself. But then we're crushed by this Bible and we want to be free from underneath it. (laughs) The Bible says it a lot better than Madonna, surprisingly. Paul says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. What she doesn't realize is that it's not the striving, but it's a broken relationship with God. It's your sin that keeps you from him who is the best thing in the world and the best thing in your life. And if you don't deal with the sin, then you have no relationship with him and you're going to be striving and you're going to be wondering why this book is crushing you. That's where the cross comes in. Because at the cross, you have a solution for that ancient human problem that we all have, that we want to be the best and we want to be free. And you have it all there on Calvary. Theologians call it alien grace. That means that Pastor Dan has to have somebody come and fix his car because he's tried to fix it so many times himself and it's still a piece of junk. So he has to have somebody else come in and fix it for him because he's inadequate to do so. In alien grace is this, that God would come to us and say, look, you're stuck underneath this Bible. And you hate not being free, but you want to strive as hard as you can, but I'm going to do something about it. And so he sent Jesus of Nazareth, God and man, but the best version of man. This is a man that we learn in the scriptures. When he was told to do this and don't do that, he did that and he didn't do that. This was a man that went out of his way to love people that were on the outskirts of society back then, Um, Gentiles and even women that he would have dialogue with. He was the ultimate love your neighbor as yourself. He not just taught it, but he did it all the way through. When people were hungry, he fed them. When when a a mother lost her son, he brought that son back to life. (laughs) Look at this man on the cross, okay? You're going through this terrible crucifixion. And it's painful in your body in every way. But who's he thinking about? Just verses before. His mom. (laughs) This is the man. This is the guy. This is the one who lives out in every way the best version of a human being. He says, I want my mom to be taken care of even though I'm going through the pain that I'm going through right now. He is 
first of all, the ultimate of what you and I were supposed to be. But what's he doing on a cross? We talked about this last Wednesday. He is crucified like a criminal. And every person that handed him off to the next person, from, the, from Judas to the Jewish leaders to Pilate, all had their self-interests in mind, and he was silent the whole time. Strange. But stranger than that is when we get to the cross on Good Friday, and when we see him up there, a couple things happen that give us the sign that this is something different. This is something bigger than just the injustice of a man being put to death that was innocent. This is what's different about it. The Bible says that the whole land went dark. For hours, it went dark. That's not normal. That's strange. It also says this, out of Jesus' lips came this. Jesus says in another place, he says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He doesn't say, Pontius Pilate, Pontius Pilate, why do you have me up here on this cross? I'm innocent. He doesn't even say what? He doesn't say, my head, my head, my hands, my hands, my feet, my feet, they hurt so much. He was going through a much more intense pain than the crucifixion. In fact, that crucifixion and the nails were a mosquito bite compared to what he was going through. The darkness was the picture of this. God had completely turned his face away from his son. The definition in the Bible of hell, I know we often think the definition of the Bible in hell, the definition of hell in the Bible is fire and brimstone, but far often than that, do you know what the definition of hell is? Darkness. Darkness. Complete and utter darkness. There's no life there. Where there is no God, there is no life. And my friends, that's called hell. And when there's darkness over the whole land and Jesus cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's not talking about some pain. He's talking about going through hell. If, the, if um, the sun would go out right now, just this instant, like that, we would all die instantly. God turned his face away from Jesus, soul and spirit, and so what he went through on the cross was an eternity of hell. And that's not just three hours. In eternity, like if, when you, you talk about, that's a whole other sphere and it's going to blow our minds, but there is no three hours in heaven and there's no three hours in hell. There isn't. But he went through an eternity in his soul and in his spirit on that cross. One other strange thing happened. The temple was a place where God resided and in that temple there was a curtain, a curtain so thick it was almost soundproof. And in that moment, the curtain tore from top to bottom. And it tore from top to bottom, and that was significant because in this place was God's presence. And this temple was a place where nobody could approach, ever. In fact, uh, it was extremely exclusive. If you were a Gentile, you had to be way out here in the temple. And if you were a woman, you had to be here, and men could come a little bit closer. And then once you're a priest, you could get... But even priests couldn't get into the temple all the way, all the time, because you only could go in past that curtain to see God or to, to make sacrifice to God once a year. And if you did go, they tied a rope around your foot in case you didn't make it out because you're in the presence of God. But now when that cross, when Jesus says this, the curtain is torn from top to bottom. And what's that saying to you and me? We have access to God. We have to tell us die. It is finished. And my friends, it solves your personal dilemma about sin 
When he says it's finished, he's using the word that some people used as a receipt. When you, got, when you bought a pair of boots back then, they would have the word tetelestai stamped on the bottom of it, and you could walk out because it's all paid for. When Jesus says it is finished, he's saying everything that was undone in the Scriptures, verse 28, is finished. When he says it is finished, he says all of the suffering through hell is finished. When he says it is finished, he says I'm done building the bridge to God, and you have access to him no matter who you are. Black, white, Caucasian, um, uh, Hispanic, uh, Asian, uh, whether you've known me in the past or not, whatever your bloodline is, you have access because it is finished. And my friends, this is the great part about this. Not only has he finished paying for all of our sins, but he's completely fulfilled what? The great human problem. We try to strive and we try to finish things and we try to be the best that we can be. But you know what God says on the cross? I make you the best thing. I look at you that way. And number two, you can stop striving because you're free. That Bible, that crushed Mark Twain, Jesus says on the cross, I've lifted that off of you completely. You can get up and you can live because the law and its demands and its condemnation are no longer something that you need to complete because he completed it on the cross to tell us die. And you can breathe again because you're forgiven for free forever. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. The best version of ourselves because of what He has done. Not because of what you strove for. But He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon Him. And by His wounds, we are healed. To tell us die forever for free. Do you want to know what happened at the end of my senior year? I got those cords. You bet. And then I threw them away. (laughs) I was going through a box a couple months ago in the attic, and sure enough, there they were. They were discolored, and they were tattered, and they were falling apart themselves. And I thought to myself, you know what I thought about when I saw them? I didn't think about doing my best. I was thinking about Becky the whole time. I was thinking about how I was comparing myself to her. I was thinking about all that, those long nights and beating myself up over grades, which I know mom and dad's probably not going to love this sermon, but you, I was beating myself up about performance. But it wasn't even a performance that I was going through. I was going through agony in those moments academically. And it felt good to throw them away. Because it said to me, I can stop striving for something that I already had. And that was my mom's love. And something I already had. My sister's not better than me. We'll, f- well, we'll figure that out at next family reunion when we play game night. <coughs> Buddha, his disciples, recorded his last words. He said, All component things of this world are changing, they are not lasting. Keep working hard for your salvation. John reports among the last of Jesus' words. 
It is finished. And God's people said, Amen. Amen.